2007 fucks. Sure does. Sure does. It knows what you like and it does it. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is the Will Be Movies, a podcast where myself and Ben Phillips, I'm Matt Waters, by the way. Also, Ben, say hi. Hi. Hi, there you go. Uh, we are talking about 25 of our favorite movies from a given decade. This is volume 1, 2000 to 2009. Rules, restrictions, limitations, all of that, all available on episode 0, which you can find pinned to the page on EnterTheRealWorld.com or on the playlist, and uh, Michael Matt on SoundCloud, that is all there. So, this is episode 16, we are just getting started on the year that was 2007, uh, we're doing Zodiac now, and uh, we both picked it because it fucks, quite frankly, and <laughs> David Fincher may have one of the best filmographies of any working director out there. Like It's such a dude bro opinion to have, but I also can't disagree with it. I like, know he's he one, is he's a what... bit dude bro but he also is brilliant yeah that's the thing is like he's one of those directors who it's like like he's the kind of guy that that guy you knew who went to film school was just like oh yeah he's so good and i don't want to be that person but i do think he makes good movies All but right. he's also he, there's also one of those things where like if you've got the fight club poster up in your room you're kind of going to go like do they actually get the subtext of fight club yeah. as someone who went to film school no one when i attended was really talking that much about david fincher so we're clear we're in the clear and my film school experiences it speaks for everyone's so there we go this decade he also did panic room and the curious case of benjamin button maybe his weakest decade but when you consider his overall career like it, it's still like a fucking great decade panic room's good i mean curious case of benjamin button suffers from being forrest gump 2 <laughs> like right down to it being the same writer and he basically just kind of like chicks off all the things that he did in forrest gump except not quite as successfully but zodiac is such a monumental achievement it, i mean like my two favorite things movies are the ones that are kind of like non-fiction and this is the first of the two that he did where uh, he can just use his psychopathic brain to just meticulously find facts forever and it, like he's obviously like so well suited to do this movie because he's coming off seven a decade previously yeah. and and seven is such like a fundamental kind of like crime work police thing yeah but it also nails the tone of what this is going to be yeah i mean so it's written by james vanderbilt who you know when talking about fincher coming aboard to direct you know he was saying like obviously we'd like fincher he made the serial killer movie but he'll pass and then we'll move on to someone else and then they got fincher so it's like yeah he seems the perfect person to do it given his background and he also said that like you know when talking about all these actors that like signed up immediately to do it he was like i'm not trying to toot my own horn i think people would do that if david fincher were directing the phone book and if you look at the filmography of one james vanderbilt i think he's right because the losers <laughs> amazing spider-man white house down the meg the rundown or number of like meh movies you have to imagine that david fincher came on and probably did a lot of uncredited work oh they completely rewrote the script as soon as he came on board like he they threw it the fuck out and but i think those movies by vanderbilt i think there's probably some bad ones on there but like i think most of them are just 
Eh. And none of them are good, and none of them are, like, atrocious. But, yeah, he struck lucky with this one. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. But first, so this was released March 2007, May in the UK. We're doing 2007 a lot, so you're not going to do your whole rundown of everything for each one. We did box office grosses with Sunshine last week because of what a massive juggernaut that was financially. This, a very well-received movie, so we thought it would be a good one to do for, like, the highest critically rated movies of the year 2007. So why not? go off yeah i mean obviously it kind of got overshadowed by the two big behemoths of 2007 zodiac was nominated for zero oscars jesus um, Christ. because it because it was completely overshadowed i mean like it's part of that like the whole film was shot on digital there's still that kind of like this is a new style of filmmaking in to many people's eyes my god the, um, the effects in this are better than movies that are coming out today <laughs> well that's, that's i mean that's that's the fundamental thing and there are some directors who know how to work digital and it's like uh michael mann david fincher are two of the best directors working the digital but at the end of the day like most films do look better on film yeah um, but that's that's a complete tangent away this year was completely dominated by the two biggies there will be blood and no country for old men maybe maybe we'll be talking about those look, I we're doing know. them both look the fucking <laughs> podcast is named after one of them four months three weeks two days number three zodiac number four diving bell and a butterfly assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford which is another tremendous movie mm. which we're not doing but matt would kill me because it is literally longer than both zodiac and there will be blood <laughs> Have you, have you seen it? No. Oh, God, Jesse James is so good. It's such a gorgeous movie, but is also... Josh, you... Is Josh Brolin in that? No. No. It's, um, it's the same cinematographer, though, as uh, No Country. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's... it's. I mean, but yeah. I mean, 2007, uh, the hits keep on coming. Ratatouille is uh-huh. so good. Yeah. Lost Caution. Eastern Promises, Once, Born Ultimatum. Junome, another one we're going to be covering this year. It's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. so so insane, so tremendous. But Zodiac is, I think, at this point, it's become seen as being like one of the top three Hollywood American movies of this year. In a year, which is insane. So you spoke about me killing you because it's so long. This is 162 minutes, which is criminally long, in my opinion. I believe our longest movie on, it's certainly this decade, I think. Possibly all of the ones we're going to do. I I don't know, and I'm not asking you to look it up. I mean, Um, we haven't haven't done any Lord of the Rings movies, which would have probably been... I mean, we did Avengers Endgame on Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey, which might be longer than this, but... Maybe we cover The Irishman for next decade. (laughs) Made on a budget of $65 million, most of it probably due to David Fincher being a uh, dangerously insane human being. The best thing is, like, I, think, I think the issue is digital made him able to be a more da- dangerously insane human I know, being. I imagine what if it they, would have been. <laughs> if they were on film, and he took as many takes as he takes in this movie. Robert Danny Jr. rebelled real hard against that. It made $85 million, so it can't have been profitable if you consider marketing and all of that stuff. But Probably needed to about 100 million to be profitable and it did not but i mean it's long as shit and it's about a serial killer from decades ago and downey wasn't quite back yet as a major star and i mean yeah this is this is a year before iron man jake gyllenhaal hasn't really taken off as a movie star at this point mark ruffalo's still doing mark ruffalo's kind of doing his like little independent stuff now he's coming out of the rom-coms he's gotten into the indie yeah so yeah you know no major stars and like it was so long 
and the subject matter is grim, so it probably wasn't going to make that much. I reckon if they released this today, it would make a fuck ton of money because serial killers are very in these days. Yeah, but I feel like that's coming from a completely different art form. Like, people are able to sit and listen to the terrible things that happen to people at home yeah. on, the, on a podcast. Get our sponsorship um, money, baby. People we are sponsored by... Me I don't know what. <laughs> Squarespace. Blue MailChimp. Apron. MailChimp. MailChimp was one for a long time. Dollar Shave Club. Yeah, all of them. We're sponsored by them all. We're sponsored by them all. So, speaking of people that are obsessed with serial killers, uh, the writer was obsessed with Robert Graysmith's book, Zodiac, as a teenager, and he he made us some movies, and he was frustrated by how some of them were, like, meddled with, so he wrote this spec script for Zodiac, and he said, only if I get some creative control, and they were like, yeah, okay, and turned out the rights had lapsed from Disney, of all people. Why the fuck were Disney buying up rights for a serial killer movie? I mean, it was under Paramount, but... Yeah, it was probably, like, a subsidiary, because, like, Disney did try and be an Oscar player for a little bit. (laughs) They wanted Fincher, they didn't think they could get him, but he came aboard because he was going to make The Black Dahlia, which Brian De Palma ended up making in his... Eh. But he was going to do it as a miniseries, and hot take as we start this, I think this movie would have been better as a miniseries, personally. I mean, you've got your wish. He's doing Manhunter now. Yeah. We've relegated David Fincher to TV because no one will give him money to do as many insane takes as he does anymore. <laughs> and it's just a profound disappointment to cinema that we do not get a new David Fincher movie every couple of years, yeah. even though hey. this decade he's made three of my favourite movies. I watched him make Jake Gyllenhaal drop a sketch pad onto his front seat 30 times in a behind the scenes take and like Jake was like laughing and be like again seriously he was like yep again and then when they thought they'd named nailed it on take 28 they went and watched it he was like now nah, we've got to do it again and I was like Jesus Christ man once they got David Fincher on board they spent 18 months researching the ever loving fuck out of the Zodiac case files they conducted their own interviews with anyone who's still alive they hired a PI to find one of the survivors, yeah. They actually uncovered new fucking evidence in the fucking case. And the case was reopened after the film came out because of how much shit is in here. But yeah, they massively rewrote this script because of doing all of this. And like, he was obsessed with making all of the facts watertight. And he wasn't interested in glamorizing Killer. He just wanted to say, this is what we know. And here's a human drama happening around. Yeah, like, like there is a choice. So this movie opens with the second killing of the Zodiac because David Fincher didn't want to put to film the first killing because no one survived that first killing. Yes. To the, so the point where, like, in this movie, the only killings or events of violence we see are ones that involve people who survived. Or enough credible witnesses, like, that, that kind of thing. A deliberate choice. Like, they also, they hired the real Dave Toshki. Uh, Toshki? Tos- Toshki? He says it in the movie, and I can't remember. It's been too many days since I've seen Toshki? it. Toshki? I think it's Toshki. Toshki, yeah. Toshki, uh, who that... died last year, sadly. The uh... basis for Bullet and Dirty Harry. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which they even write into the fucking movie. And Graysmith, they were both consultants on the film, as were the surviving victims credited as consultants for the film. Sony and MGM turned it down because of the runtime. They wanted to two hours fifteen, no more. And they're like, no, never. And Warner <laughs> We and- are making an almost three hour movie about a serial killer from thirty years ago. Jira <laughs> views. Yeah, Warner and Paramount were also concerned about the length. And they were also concerned about the lack of a conclusive ending, but they went for it anyway. And because Finch isn't same we 
could be here all night if we listed all the trivia. I have chosen my favourite piece of trivia. He added hair digitally to Jake Gyllenhaal's knuckles because he thought they were too pretty. Right, let's get it. <laughs> shall, we, shall we do the box office for opening in the UK? Yeah, if you want. Opened uh, on May 18th in the UK uh, at number three, earning about $1.6 million equivalent. Fine, not, not <laughs> terrible. No. But it opened behind the third week of Spider-Man 3 and the second week of 28 Weeks Later. Mm. Too, uh, many, too many numbers working against them there. Yeah, and it only ended up making about $7 million in the UK. Mm. So uh, I think it's far and away kind of like one of the biggest regions outside of America, but still, as you said, like we're not in the serial killer boom that probably would have propelled this movie to be a lot more money. Or the Netflix boom where people are more than happy to sit and watch 10 episodes of Manhunter. Which I, I, really, I haven't. I really but... should watch. Yeah. I really should watch. I am notedly on paper anti-Netflix dramas, but... No. David Fincher doing serial killers on TV is like, oh, is that enough to get me in? It didn't get me to watch House of Cards. Well, directly. now you get a whole new reason to not watch that. So thanks, Kevin. Right, let's do it. So we start in July of 69 with, in real life, it's the second murder, but they have chosen to make it the first one we see. The Zodiac Killer strikes, kills a young woman, wounds her lover, and starts sending in letters to the San Francisco Chronicle, taunting the police and the press and issuing these ciphers for people to crack and journalist Paul Avery and cartoonist Bobby Graysmith take a particular interest. So I'm not going to just sit here and break down the entirety of the Zodiac Killer thing uh, for you, but it's possibly, you know, it's a top two or three famous serial killer case in history like and precisely because he isn't caught like yeah. there is no conclusive ending to this one and the kind of the public aspect of it like sending things to papers and like doing these codes and wanting to be caught like these have become such cliches of the profile of a serial killer that he wants to be caught he wants the glory he wants the attention and i think a lot of that came from the zodiac killings so you know it's a huge part of the movie is and that's how you know you would think with something like this we would only see it from the angle of the police but like we spend most of this first third or so in the bullpen of uh, the San Francisco Chronicle and it's because of of him sending these letters in and yeah the immense attention to detail is evident throughout but like they have the exact clothes these two murder victims were wearing like they took a photo of Darlene and then they had the like the fabric was like remade by an expert and like yeah just everything it's insane I would say, though, despite all this realism, having a married woman be horny from Lee Norris, that, that just shatters the realism for me. But, you know, hey. It's so sinister. They nail this, the murder scenes or, or the, the attempted murder scenes. Like, seeing the car in darkness and, like, sort of prowling around and coming back and doing such a good job of hiding him in plain sight. They're not shooting him from the neck down. Like, there are times you see pretty much a full body, but you can't see him in enough detail to see who it is. And they had him played by multiple actors to sort of really throw people off or whatever but was he played by multiple actors who are in the movie as suspects of zodiac because i did try to find that out or i think or was... in this first scene it is the main guy they frame up uh, lee allen but it's definitely i think someone else in the suit i don't know if it's another actor that appears in the movie because my partner said that like she watched we watched it together she fell in love with this movie within about like t- 20 minutes yeah. but she was kind of convinced that like mark ruffalo played him at one point and like <laughs> did they go to like that insane level of like we'll just get 
get different actors in the movie to play him or whether or not it is only suspects you know, in the case. I mean, I don't know because I tried to limit myself because of how much is probably out there about Fincher, like sniffed an ashtray and used it to recreate. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there was legit yeah, this... a scene in the behind the scenes where they took him to the second killing, the one in broad daylight. They took him to where it allegedly happened and he was ignoring the expert while he was talking to him because he was like listening to the wind and putting his ear to the ground and having people talk from different angles. He went, this can't possibly be it based on the acoustics. And the guy admitted, he was like, shit, you're right. It's actually over there. He knew the fucking <laughs> crime scene. He's insane. He's the Zodiac killer in my mind. This first scene is so damn good because yeah. this movie does such an interesting thing where this first killing takes place and it basically just ratchets up this tension. It's something that Fincher is so good at is this just slow mm. ratchet of tension as you don't know what's going to happen unless you are like someone who knows the intricacies of the Zodiac killing. Yeah. And then when they do happen, they're so kind of matter of fact and nonplus. They're not glorified in any way. They're just like, this is what it would look like. Yeah. No one's um, wearing a clown outfit. Like... <laughs> And then the movie kind of, like, it keeps on going back to this kind of, like, realistic depictions of violence, but they lessen as the movie goes along. Like, it kind of, like, hooks you in very early on with these intricate displays of violence. And then as it goes on, it starts cutting away from when the violence happens, so you don't end up seeing it in this really fascinating way. I feel like this is Um, the big sexy murder, you know? Like, this is the one they've really done their homework on and, like, meticulously wanted to recreate, and all the focus is on it. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's just... (laughs) good. All the gunshots are digital, they didn't want to do squibs, they wanted to save some time. Uh, I think it looks pretty good. It's not like obviously a digital effect, I don't think. No, but you, like, if you look, if you pay attention to the blood, you can kind of see it, and it's one of those things where like, there are effects in this movie that don't seem to have aged. This is one of those ones where like, mm. you can tell we got better at doing it in the 12 years since. Yeah, so you know, we we see the first letter, we like see it moving through the building of the San Francisco Chronicle, and like, this set, it is beautiful in how like, oppressed ugly and lit it is like the yellows and the all of the artificial lighting and everything it's it's really engaging to look at but also like ugh, imagine working there yeah i mean again you can tell this is like fincher looking around for photos of the bullpen of the san francisco chronicle and then <laughs> yeah down to which typewriters they had in different years and also which of... desk did you sit at you sat at this one and paul sat at this one cool we'll make sure to shoot this so you can see the direct angle between the two desks ugh. Jesus Christ. I think we're probably going to talk about the big three actors in the different sections that they kind of take the leading role on and like we had a bit of a negotiation here i think this first sort of third is all about a the zodiac and b i think it's more downy because jake is so like be quiet boy kind of thing like he's just he's the political cartoonist he's off at the side downy is the big sexy sleazy journalist who's like you know drinking and going to wild parties and everything and he's the name so yeah this is a year before he trots out the tony stark role that he will probably never be able to escape from now and like i don't think i've seen him in any like i know he was in the judge and and soloist probably came out after iron man but like i feel like he's just gonna be tony stark forever now i mean the judge was kind of like his like i'm now the biggest actor in the world i'm gonna try and win an oscar but a lot of like i think what he's got sherlock holmes due date chef the judge but since then he's done nothing although he does have Doolittle next year and i'm sorry but chef is just tony but without the tech. <laughs> uh, but this this role as Paul Avery, you know, a real person, it's a bit Tony Starky. Like this is what Downey is just sort of known for now, just being these sort of slick talking, like mover and shaker type people. And you know, the costuming is great and and yeah, I think they do a good job of making this the relationship between Zodiac and the press 
is really good and like them debating the ethics of it like do we do as he says and print his thing on the front page are we setting a dangerous precedent like do we ignore it because he's just gonna kill people anyway like yeah it's it, it, it's good stuff and like I really like that a random couple solved the cipher ostensibly before like the FBI and, and various intelligence agencies and stuff like that that it's just like a school teacher or something they do what they can here but I think the, the big stuff in this first third is the Zodiac killings because we see again like we see the one in broad daylight where he like is wearing a costume now and he like has the girl tie the guy up and the stabbing here is like unsettling because it's like in some things you see stabbings it's like this really like dramatic thing where it's like a single stab and it's the music has swelled and then occasionally you'll see something where they stab them repeatedly and like really clumsily and it's just so much more like it makes your skin a bit like to see it and it's like he's stabbing them in the back like I don't know it's just it's very very grim it's so grim and even in the way they shoot it where they make it so close to kind of like what actually happened and I mean I forgot to mention it in the first one but like they actually like found the full receipt of like the call that was made to the 911 and had it redone and, or and had it re- and had it basically redone for Baton I um, thought that including, was including like including like the way he said goodbye at the end because the way he says goodbye in that first call is like goodbye and it's like <laughs> just this weird thing yeah. that like they're just trying to emulate and the thing is they do the same thing here where like even though we don't know the whole kind of like he focuses on the women and we think the first murder was kind of he meant to kill both of them but only managed to kill one of them and just him being in a rush but then you see it in this one where like he stabs the guy in the back about three or four times and, and then, then he like rolls so... her over and stabs her in the front as well doesn't it yeah yeah the movie makes a point of going like you could pick up on this thing before we have to tell you i think there are moments where it it feels like you're getting so weighed down in facts and it's hard to follow but then you have to take the step back and think this isn't a movie about you trying to solve the Zodiac killings and like all of that stuff like clearly they have this obsession with it and it's important to them to present all the details it's about how the characters are all reacting to it all emotionally and like the way the film is presenting things like I think something I I was taught in film school was like if you can't convey your message silently you failed it's not about the information they're saying it's about like looking at these human beings reacting to what's happening and, like, yeah like you I can think not sec- even get it and just sort of just go with them and it still works you know yeah i think the second half of the movie kind of like when he gets into the point where like the whole point is the descent into madness in the kind of hunt for this thing this unsolvable fundamental thing they are throwing so many names out there and it kind of becomes part of it where like because we're not living this we're not it totally immersed in this world and so we don't know the intricacies between like uh, oh well this person lived next door to this person they live two minutes down the street from this person which also means that they would have met this person and it's just throwing all this stuff at you and it's just this thing is complicated and people are going down so many different avenues trying to solve it or trying to make sense of it because they want to make sense of this just fundamental thing. To this minute I don't actually fully understand who the anonymous caller was near the end that was trying to insist that it's a projectionist or whoever like don't know just some guy who called them like where did this all pan out to but anyway so we we then get like a murder of a taxi driver which brings in uh, our police inspectors they call them inspectors but they're detectives apparently this is a regional thing in san francisco they call them inspectors but hey dave tarski and his partner bill armstrong they investigate the crime scene of this taxi and the aerial shot of the taxi just going around these blocks oh it's so good it's phenomenal and like we won't get into the the game la noir 
But obviously that is riffing on a particular time period. It's riffing heavily on LA Confidential, the movie that I covered with Mike Thomas and one of our Christmas specials. And they've all gone to the right source materials and like really captured this look. And just seeing this taxi go around these corners, it feels so familiar to me because of all the things we've seen shot set in this time period and everything. And it's it's just great. And like once again, you can't quite see the murderer as he like just shoots the guy in the back of the head. And I think you see glasses on him, maybe. I'm not sure but yeah but just that taxi shot just chef kiss I also, um, I also want to say like how good is anthony edwards he's really fucking good i have a note to talk about that later because like, we talk about the big three that go on to be iron man the hulk and mysteria he is equally good as them and he is there every not every minute that's an exaggeration but you know he's right there in it and like it really to me should have been about the two journalists and the two cops and been a four-person cast but like he is so like the forgotten man here yeah it, it, i mean obviously he ducks out early it's it's well, part so of the does reason Downey, man like, you don't yes, see Danny for the whole last hour, pretty much. No, I mean, I mean, obviously, Anthony Edwards is famous for like his role in ER and all that stuff. But yeah, he's he's just really good here as like for the one of them that doesn't go on to be like insane after, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. insanely successful afterwards. Do you know why they cast him? Because someone said he was the nicest person they'd ever met. So there you go. Oh, uh, is that is that because they just, oh they really like Goose? <laughs> yeah, possibly. So there's this little moment where they they give the wrong description of the of oh. the suspect, and they initially describe them as being black and they don't lean too heavily into the racial implications of everything going on in this movie like they do in some other set here but like I do appreciate that as a little touch maybe that I mean maybe they didn't even mean it to be this way but... I mean it, it, I mean, obviously the reason it's in the movie is because this is a thing that happens and yeah. they have to dress down the two police officers that come in and say like we let the guy go they do correct it but in the time between giving it and correcting it the ostensible Zodiac killer walks right past these two cops and they're like Oh, sorry. The movie it, it does such a good job of like it just procedural detective work where like I love them recreating it and being like, right, you're smart, so you did this, but maybe you did this, but why would you do that? Because you're smart, and maybe he's not smart because oh, he's left all this money and yeah, he's left all this money, but like he put or the there's no break, money he put to, the parking to, brake yeah. on. Yeah, why is he robbing him two journeys into the day? He's put the parking brake on or waited for the parking brake to go on so the car doesn't move after the gunshot. He's moved a block down the road because because there's less of, light. Like, there's less light. It, it's just like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like Avery starts to challenge his perceived into. No, they all do actually. I think Bobby says like, "No, oh, he's not that smart." Like you can tell if you do this cipher here, like this, it's actually just pretty simple. So yeah, there is this like back and forth debate about like, is this guy like a genius who is fooling everyone, or is he just like so good at the grandstanding aspect of it that like he's coming across as like he's not just some guy just randomly killing, but that doesn't mean he's a genius. And yeah, I really like these two running through that little like reenactment and uh ruffalo like looking down this street and like if you see the raw footage he's just looking at a giant blue screen but they went to all this effort to like recreate the traffic and then the look of the street and they're digitally editing editing out like satellite dishes on the sides of houses and yeah because yeah, they literally went to the pains of making it look like 1970s san francisco yes constantly and it's i can see why people would <laughs> not enjoy working with mr fincher <laughs> There are many people who've only made one movie with him. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a threat on a school at this point, and like, I really like the moment when Bobby is like having to let, like, he's waiting with his son to put him on the bus, and then he at the last minute changes his mind and pulls him off. He's like, No, I'll drive you now. Yeah, and, you've and... got on the bus and the door's about to close, but I, I'm gonna. <laughs> 
drive you to school now. <laughs> yeah, and then we get this this first crossing of paths between, you know, the two sides of this, where because he's sent more evidence into the paper, Tosky has to go in and collect it, and, you know, he meets... Uh, he knows Avery already, but I think he meets Bobby for the first time, and he will continue to not remember him. So, with the cops, like, in the sort of middle portion of the movie, it shifts more over to them leading this investigation, and, you know, while both sets of characters are discussing things, theories and like you know oh it's a pattern you know he's killing women he's killing pairs and then suddenly he kills a random taxi driver to break the pattern and all this stuff and you also see the various police departments like exchanging information and i really like that scene where armstrong is having to make all these phone calls and, yeah like, and, and that, that's my favorite scene for anthony edwards is he's making all these phone calls and you can tell how exasperated he is yeah but he just like because there's no communication between these two these like three different precincts where the murders happened and then he finds out there's like a fourth precinct involved as well <laughs> and then they're just like, well, can you fax this over to me? So oh, we don't have a fax machine. I'm going to have to send it in the post. And he's uh, and it's just like you can tell how information would get lost or distorted, or they wouldn't get like fundamental things. And how even 20 years later, when they're still investigating the case, things have fallen through the cracks. And all it took was someone to visit yeah. one precinct to yeah, just yeah. look through their case files and stuff like that. Also, fucking Ken Narlo, Donald Logue in yes. a completely unrecognizable performance. Yes, clean shaven. A crime. Clean shaven, short hair, no beard. Yeah, I was gonna say, Donald Logue, Elias Cotius, and Dermot Mulroney, they're also pretty good in these roles as, like, police captains and police sergeants and stuff in the various it's, counties. Like, it's so weird that this movie, basically, like, almost every single role is just a exposition dump. But, like, they, they managed to distill, like, personal inflection to everyone. Like, later on in the movie, when Ken Narlo's talking about one of the people who's, like, a, a potential suspect. Yeah, he's, like, my favourite suspect in this whole thing or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, this is my personal investment into this, is this, I didn't get to nail this guy. And everyone does get those little moments where like, even though they are going through the motions, repeating just facts to the screen to kind of like get us along to the next bit of the thing, there is enough personal depth there that they feel like people, which is an astounding kind of like sleight of hand that they're managing to do consistently throughout this movie. Mm. And like, again, it, it's similar to Edwards where like, if you look at the cast list, you're like, oh shit, these big three, but like, everyone is great here. Yeah, like, uh, and I, I think these three sort of character actors just sort of just nail it. And uh, they had Dermot Mulroney in a fat suit because they thought he was too in shape for his role. Zodiac has a number of encounters with Melvin Belly, 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 Belly. I think he calls himself over the phone on TV. He's repeatedly trying to contact him at his house, send him a letter personally, which he'd never done before, and he even agrees to a meeting that we assume never comes to pass due to how many police are there. And Brian Cox is playing Melvin Belly, who um, is great in everything he does, obviously. You know, have you watched Succession yet? No. Don't watch fucking Succession. All right, join us. I'll, this recording's going to be a week long because I've got to watch Succession. Look, he is really, really good, and I understand that aspects of his part of the story are important, like it establishes the birthday an hour later, by the way. But if I'm going to start trimming from this very long runtime, I would look real hard at this whole bit with Melvin Belly because it sort of doesn't quite go far enough to justify him being there. Like, I feel you, you could have, have gotten to, to the same point and cut him out. 
But you have to imagine, if you lived in San Francisco at this time, the day that the killer called into the news station, even if it turned out to not be the killer or it turned out to be this elaborate hoax and stuff like that, is probably one of the most important memories that a lot of people have in this case. Maybe, but you could achieve this in passing. You could have it on a screen. Yeah, but you, this, like... David Finch is an insane person who's I doing know everything. I insane, but I'm just saying, if responsible editing includes runtimes, in my opinion. So. Oh, no, but this movie is wonderfully edited. Angus Wall is doing a fucking tremendous job this yeah this movie is no, it's too long it's too long oh, it's you so start good. losing points every second you go over a certain run Matt, he won he edited social network he wins the oscar for social I know, network no, but he ed- knows, this guy knows what he's doing i know he's good at editing and what you see on the screen is good but there's too much on the screen anyway yeah this whole section is you know and like he's very sassy when he's like you guys sure know how to arrange a secret meeting huh when there's like helicopters above him and stuff but yeah it kind of he just flitters off again zodiac almost kills again but his would-be victim escapes and around this time they start getting a lot of letters flooding in and Avery starts to assert that Zodiac may now be taking credit for things he hasn't done and they discover that like his name and the symbol both come from an advert for a watch and this is when you get like there's some information that's given off screen because like this is all given as a dump to Robert Graysmith when he's kind of like showing how he like managed or, like how he's figured out like where the, the ciphers come from yeah yeah um, and I really and- like those two getting drunk together like on that. Oh, the, the, the the bit where like he's like, "What are you drinking? What is this?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a whatever name of the cocktail is." Aqua I think, velvet. Aqua velvet. You wouldn't disparage it if you tried it. And then you hard cut to the table is littered with about fourteen different glasses of them. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And like them, him warming up to him because like, okay, the kid isn't stupid. Let me actually talk to him and bounce some ideas off him. Like yeah. that is like, all really good. I also want to say like that's a, such an important thing this movie does is even though this movie is about the darkest subject matter it could be about. There are threats of children dying. There's that scene with the woman in the car where, like, the constant looming threat that, like, this child will die as well. Oh, God. When he says, before I kill you, I'm going to throw your baby out the window. Yeah. That's uh, possibly the single darkest thing in it. Yes, but also the movie is really funny. Yeah, and, and, and it's got some good little interpersonal moments and, and nice friendship type stuff. Yeah, like like even even down to like later on in the movie when Graysmith has gone insane and is like <laughs> constantly calling up Tosky and Tosky's just like, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. Gonna kill him yeah. <laughs> and his wife being like, is he here now? <laughs> because he's been phoning and stuff. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Him flagging down this woman because her tire is like busted and like under the guise of fixing it and then he in fact loosens it as like, oh, you're gonna die. And it's like, how did she stop, drop, and roll out of this moving car and with a baby? Her. I mean, you see her. You see her hands covered in blood, though, and you kind of like. Oh yeah. The beauty of the scene is it doesn't show you the stop, drop, and roll. It it keeps the tension built yeah. because it's like cut away from inside the car after this guy said this this terrible thing. Yeah. Um, you assume he did kind it, of like... or she left the baby with him, or the baby's hurt, or something. But yeah, it's like I'm glad that one got away. Um, and yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, that's what I meant. Where like the violence starts to like take a take a downturn because yeah. even though the killer has been like he's claimed to have killed thirty seven people, yeah. there's only these five confirmed deaths, and we've already seen all three of those on screen. And is this one even him? Because, yeah, because, yeah, because the, we also the, get the, the point question where has they, been raised. Yeah. We get the point where like information about the killings that he's claimed are in the press before. Well, yeah. well that's the big thing. Like early on, he was confirming authenticity with his letters by saying, "Here's some facts that 
that only the police know. And then as they start to come in later, all of the facts presented were already publicly available before he sent the letters. So they are starting to... And there are theories that, like, there was more than one killer. And I think even Jake Gyllenhaal, like, starts to say that at one point under his breath. But, you know, with all these kind of things, there, there is always the angle that, like, what if it's a copycat killing? Because the killer was allegedly active over a very long period of time. So it very much could have been there was one Zodiac killer and then because it was such a big public phenomenon maybe someone else just started taking credit or I mean that's that's the thing it's like one of the big things that people tell you about these serial killers or mass shootings or anything like that the most important thing is to not delve too much into them to like not give their name not give photos not give details about like what's happened it's just say this has happened and move on because otherwise it does inspire copycats for whatever reason there's this kind of like human lemming response when they see these things well it even happens in cases of suicide where like if one person commits suicide and it's Mm. reported on the wrong way it can turn a spate of like other people killing themselves yeah and before you know it netflix are editing scenes out of tv shows and you have people in clown outfits and and also (laughs) We've done the joke commentary. I know we have. Listen to it, everyone, and it's therealworld.com. It will be up at this point. Yes, so Zodiac threatens Avery personally. He gets even more drinky and druggy. He gets a gun. He agrees to meet an anonymous tipster in Riverside, California. Uh, I I adore his reaction to being sent the the scrap of shirt. Just walking away from it angrily. It's like like he gets it, he jumps away, drops the knife on the table, goes back to look at it, and then just kind of like skips away and does this like fuck yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, telling Jake to go look at it, like, angrily. Oh, so good. Downey's good in this movie. I don't think he's the best of the three. No, no, no. Not uh, at all. But it's, like, you can see DNA of Tony Stark here, you know? <laughs> he's a good actor. He's a good actor. Yeah. So, like, yeah, he goes to, on this anonymous tip, and you assume he's about to get murdered, because Bobby's on a date with Chloe Sevigny. So, you know, well done to him. She's good in, like, a criminally small role. She has a really good low energy to her, where she's, like, barely talking and doesn't seem enthusiastic about I, anything. I love that you've got no idea whether or not she's into this or not. No, uh, exactly. Like he, shows, he shows up on this day uh, It's just like, sorry, I'm late. He's completely soaking wet. He's got like this drenched newspaper and he's just like, oh, my friend is like investigating the Zodiac killer. And then she's just like, oh, what if he gets killed? And he's like, I haven't thought about that. And now that's all <laughs> I can that's all I can think about. Yeah. So you assume drag- it's going to be a whole like, he just is, she's like, right, well, I'm going to go because you're clearly not into this at all. But then it almost goes hard the other way where like they're in the phone booth and he's like oh I should probably go to my house and wait and it's like you could have quite easily seen her like jumping her him in that phone booth or something like yeah. she plays this so well and like yeah it's a shame that most of the women in this are victims of the Zodiac but she yeah like she the, does there's, well here. there's two women I think who are like get anything to do really and mm. it's Chloe Sevigny and June Dye and Raphael who are the two wife characters yeah and I everyone mean, else like, is in prison or a, or a murder victim or an attempted murder victim. Yeah, I mean, and I think both of them are really good and they definitely get some of the more comedic relief of kind of like the movie. Like, I do really like her line where like, after he hangs up the phone and goes, like, I should go home and wait and then she just kind of goes like this dejected, like, well, I guess I should get the food to go then. <laughs> I'm not gonna not go home with you yeah. at this point. And then she like disappears from the movie for so long and when you see him come home to her, you're like, oh, I guess that worked out for him then. <laughs> and like, oh, now they've got a kid and it's like, oh. So, but I think I do think that really works in the thing because like Bobby does disappear from the movie for like a good stretch at this point like yeah. he because now we shift over completely into Tosky after like Avery fucks up with this witness yes. 
Yeah, he, oh Jesus, he like gets some evidence that like potentially links the Zodiac to an unsolved murder several years previously and like Toski is like really mad at him because it's like you're potentially panicking people for no reason, you're potentially meaning the Riverside police can't arrest their suspect, all of this stuff and I think Ruffalo and Downey's argument is really good like they... I mean and, and, even, and even then he doesn't go to Toski first, he goes to the press because yeah, like, he is press. It's kind of like this is sort of I think Downey's last meaningful scene to be honest. Honest. Yeah, he get there's like the one scene where he tells him to fuck off. Every. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Armstrong interviews this teacher who claims that a former colleague, Arthur Lee Allen, essentially laid out the entire Zodiac concept to him years ago, and he laughed him off. They interview Arthur Lee Allen, and despite being extremely <laughs> suspicious, they are unable to charge him. You also get like Toski finding like the rumor that he was fired for like molesting children, and like this person is ambidextrous, and that might explain some of the stuff with the hand handwriting because handwriting is such a big thing in this fucking movie and, and, and it's, that's the thing is like handwriting feels like oh we need to get some handwriting samples as if people can't write differently to how they normally write oh I'm gonna be the best fucking serial killer you seen my handwriting good <laughs> luck experts my signature has never matched once in my life anyway this interrogation scene is fucking electric John Carroll Lynch is perfect so so good in like being you look at him and you're like well that dude killed people and yeah and, and like you know he's coming out with oh yeah the bloody knives were because of a chicken i killed like just surrendering this that they didn't know about and, and all this he, stuff. he baits them so hard yeah oh like he God. passes the watch around because because he, he's wearing the zodiac wristwatch and they're just like every single thing but at the end of the day it's all circumstantial exactly. every single thing that he does is circumstantial evidence there is nothing to pin him to yeah. the exact location or to being the person they want him to be yeah and like the close-up on the boots when he crosses his leg over and like his voice is sinister as well like he's got this sort of unnerving cadence to how he talks and it's like it's not fully low but it is also just it's just a timber to his voice that is just sort of like oh i think you've killed people um, okay so 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 obviously the movie never comes down in any definitive way about who did it well, really yeah but yeah do you, but do you think this is the closest the movie gets to going like this is the guy i think fincher thinks he did it yes but i think fincher is the world's leading expert on the zodiac killer so <laughs> because it's actually david fincher yeah and like the writer talked about it's really fucking hard to get an arrest warrant like you watch tv and it's like we think it's him and we've arrested him and case closed in real life there can be what seems like a staggering amount of evidence to the point where it's like oh my god you idiots of course it's him yeah uh, and like, the, like, the, law the, and you have the whole thing is like they go to a different handwriting expert to say that someone could have different handwriting between two hands yeah. they get the quote from the teacher on record to be uh, i can't remember what the third piece of evidence they managed to get is but like they have to build up this like just so many like different kind of like piece of evidence to get a judge to sign off so they can go to his house and, and then it's they go a to his year house. later as well almost yeah. it's 11 months later they've actually finally got enough for a warrant to get into his house he's moved houses since the murders have happened and like in his house there's like overalls look guns Look, the, squirrels. The, same gun, the same guns <laughs> that were used in the murders. Yeah, and um, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it, but the typewriter he owned was also the same type of typewriter that was used to type the Zodiac messages. Yeah, it's crazy and frustrating, and like. But yeah, yeah, but then they come away from it, and then because they rely so much on handwriting, and the handwriting expert says these don't. Match. And it's crazy that that was enough to be like, yep, nope. 
But oh yeah, he like lacked. He's got no alibis on any of it. I think he had geographical. Oh, he had awareness of like bus routes or whatever because he was at a, t- a school. He was in the navy. Like all of this stuff. Like it all added up. But no, no dice. And Toski is very angry about all of this. They go and watch Dirty Harry, which famously incorporated the Zodiac Killer in with Scorpio, and you know he has to walk out of it because he can't handle it. And and you see uh, Bobby like afterwards comes up and says, like, Oh, this is how they did it that's how it ends and he doesn't recognize him at all <laughs> yeah he's like oh they, they shoot him and it's like and i'm sure that's even more annoying to have someone come up and say like hey here's how hollywood does the clean ending to this thing that is literally encompassing your entire life <laughs> um to the point where your your partner has like called in for a transfer well, at this point yeah no not at this point four years later uh, we get oh god we get this passage of time which is communicated with like all these like news headlines are read out on the air and on TV and stuff and like when you next see the bullpen like the San Francisco Chronicle it's blue instead of yellow and there's a new person at Paul's desk hey Adam Goldberg thanks for showing up for your one scene two scenes sorry but yeah like Bobby has started writing a book and he goes to Avery and Tosky separately and sort of his lack of press or police affiliation and him coming across as so harmless it kind of opens doors for him in a way that the individual other parties couldn't and they sort of point him in the right direction and yeah like you said like Avery's a complete wreck tells him to fuck off last time we see Danny Jr. Anderson's put in for a sorry Armstrong's put in for a transfer Toski I really we were talking about like the the good relationship moments when he brings up the sushi he's like oh maybe you can try the Japanese stuff now or the raw fish now because he wants to transfer out of murder he wants to get into like fraud something that's not so like stressful and like 3am-y and it's just a nice little callback to that conversation they had at the beginning about the sushi and stuff and yeah bye goodbye Armstrong I like that again Toski doesn't remember Bobby when they like meet for a diner and like yeah that but like <laughs> pointing him in the right he's like oh i can't tell you but you should maybe go look over here or whatever that one of these uh, sergeants like takes away his pens so he can ru- he can't write anything down while he's looking at all their case files so he like sprints to a cafe immediately afterwards and just puts as much as he can remember onto paper like it's all really good stuff and this idea that bobby is the only person that's seen everything is really really interesting in the second half of the movie like look i never never gonna defend the length of it i think it is too long but like it becomes almost a completely different movie in this four year later stretch and like you were saying like all these different jurisdictions and people who like if they could just get their shit together on the same page they might be able to solve this thing but bobby is a person that he sees all the different things and he is able to like open a new avenue and and it it is interesting because like immediately after this so like avery's kind of retired he's everything he's done he like he's drinking too much he keeps on losing his positions at less and less prestigious just like papers we moves from the san francisco chronicle to the sacramento b yeah. and he's like drinking himself to death on a houseboat paul avery how's he die he did uh, uh, a pulmonary embolism something like that or something yeah but like he's, he's got that he's got the um kind of yeah he died of a pulmonary emphysema because okay. he's got a breathing tank oh yeah of course but he's at the sacramento b but yeah like kind of he he dies out of the movie at this point dave toski gets framed for sending a fake letter yeah, they claim that he sent someone from the chronicle claimed that like he sent it in for publicity or whatever. It's, it's, it's such a complicated 
thing because it's like there's a guy who works at the Chronicle who writes new who writes books that are based on Toski as a as a police officer, mm-hmm. uh, Armistead Morpin, who isn't Adam Goldberg's character. And I kind of thought they were going there, where it was Adam Goldberg's character that kind of like did it. Um, and then basically because he recognizes the letters from him, he thought that Toski sent in a fake letter to try and spur him to write more books about him. Like, and it, but this information is all delivered with characters that we haven't seen before, and it's this kind of like shift in the way the information is given to us. Yeah, where, it's all, I heard it from this person who heard it from this person. And whatever. it becomes so hard to keep track, but also it does this impeccable job of kind of like making it very hard to hold on to the details, and so the only kind of anchor point we have is Jake Gyllenhaal playing Robert Graysmith's yes. descent into kind of like, in, not insanity, but just kind of like obsession. Yeah, And I think it works so well, because it comes this name this name this name and we as an audience are trying to put it all together yeah i think you really need to resist that temptation and just watch jake because i just watched it an hour ago and like i was like so frustrated of like oh my god where did how has this come into it it's like but that's not the point i'm not investigating the fucking zodiac killer and they're not trying to say right here it is for you on a platter obviously it's this person i mean obviously i've seen seen this movie like a couple of times so it's easier for me but even then when i was trying to tell my partner like what different people tied together I was like, I'm still struggling with names because they're referring to people by their first name only and the yeah. characters have not appeared on screen whatsoever yeah. and they're talking about characters that in timeline of the movie have died an hour and a half ago <laughs> and it's just so much information to kind of like keep in your head but as, like, as you say, like this is where Jack Gyllenhaal completely just fucking nails it. Movie over, um, yeah. I think this is probably my favourite acting performance from him. I mean, like, well, this is the second movie we've discussed with him. I think he is good in Brokeback Mountain. It's I think he is very not... Very good in Nightcrawler he's very good in my crawler but I just think this just completely nails it the thing that really nails it is the scene where he goes to Charles Fleischer's house yeah oh my god yeah like that it gets so bad that I mean, we, we'll talk about the wife stuff in a second, but, you know, she's, like, warning him that, like, this is getting dangerous, and that he finds himself in this house with this projectionist who, like, he goes there, like, oh, you worked with this man, and then you start to think, no, this is the man, maybe. And, like, you know, the red flag immediately of, oh, why would we go to a cafe? Why don't you just come to my house? And he just locks the door behind him, and it all just gets just worse and worse, and he's like, oh, it's in the basement. And then a callback to something that was said at least an hour ago of, like, basements are rare in California, and he's like, yes, but I have. <laughs> it's like, oh, get the fuck out of there, man. Yeah, and uh, it's it's all done because like, and everything, every the, every reason he's there is circumstantial evidence that he's being fed by someone on the phone. Where he's like, well, this person's got film strips from this person who did posters and the poster text- writing matches, but not quite. And- yeah, but we've already had that the the handwriting expert has been discredited because he's an alcoholic and just. Uh, but like, my favorite, my favorite thing about this scene in Charles Fleischer's house is have you watched it with the sound off? No. What a weird question. No, I haven't. No, because they're talking about so they're talking about silent movies. Okay. Um, and like the entire scene, if you watch it with the sound off, with no sound whatsoever, and the and just focus on the acting performances, nothing that Charles Fleischer does is off-putting at all. Interesting. And yet you realise that Jake Gyllenhaal is just paranoid as all hell, and how much that is swaying your opinion on what's going on in the scene. Like you just watch it and you go like, no, this is just a guy showing him different things downstairs and doing everything completely normally, but removing the kind of like ambient music in the scene yeah. and the way that everything is shot and sounds and stuff like that. It just removes all tension and you're just kind of sat there going like this is how far down a rabbit hole that he's gone and the movie is doing so much heavy lifting in making this paranoia be palpable to you as an audience member as opposed to just the character and i i, I think it's like astounding filmmaking and is yeah. 
one of the best scenes in this entire movie. Here's his horror movie audition here. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's it's shot so much like a silent film, like down to the fact that like there's almost bits of like Nosferatu in kind of like, the way that it's lit when they go down to the basement. Yeah, and... when he like turns the light off while still walking towards him, and yeah, it's it's a really fucking good scene. It, I I still don't quite know how he got there or like where this lead even came from. But like you said, it's not really important, and it is sort of like showing you the descent he's he's gotten into, where like you know you. You see him like crawling around on the floor like a fucking excited rodent or something and like you know you see him getting physically less attractive and like you know his hair is all flat and he's not clean shaven and and he gets home and his wife's left him because you know <laughs> she warns him like look you've put your name out here isn't that quite dangerous for our family and he's trying to like hand wave it and then he like goes on tv after we've had this talk and he's like oh yeah yeah i'm, I'm looking into it and everything. yeah because he because he's he's solved another one of the ciphers that like had been on sold for years yeah and they start getting anonymous calls at the house of just someone breathing down the phone and he starts getting the kids involved in it where like the kids are looking up and they're looking up like timing it to the equinox oh yeah aspect. like because of the zodiac like aspect i assume they're trying to like yeah like map it to the thing is what my other favorite thing is like even before this gray smith is the person that's bringing up just the fucking weird things where like every single murder has taken place nearby a body of water where he's like analyzing everything and it's your early warning sign that like he's going to go down some like bad paths that yeah. aren't actually like constructive to the, to the yeah. argument. And like Tosky warns him, like the Rick Marshalls of the world will like eat you alive or or, or something or to that effect. But her warning him and and warning him and like you know the kids being like, why do you two not sleep in the same bed anymore? And it goes unanswered and like it's just he's so shitty to her as well. He's like, are you done? Can I go? And it's like a whole like this is more important to him now. And like she asks him, what will it take to like make this like stop for you and he says when I can look him in the eye and know it's him and all of that stuff and that is of course going to play into the ending but yeah it's it's really sad like seeing yeah. this happen and you told me before <laughs> go on uh, so James Vanderbilt wrote the screenplay and based on the Robert Graysmith book and when Robert Graysmith came I don't know if it was the screenplay or whether or not he saw the movie but basically his first comment after it was essentially um, oh I can see why my wife left me now <laughs> Amazing. Just, it's a good level of self-awareness, I would say. He really sells the fuck out of this, like, descent into madness, almost. And It makes me want to read the book, because I feel like it would patch up some things, because I have to imagine this, uh, Charles Fleischer's Bob Vaughan, like, is kind of more explained, because I, I know that's all related to, like, Ken Narlow's, so, like, because he's investigating the person that Ken Narlow says is his favourite person for this crime. Yeah, he's like, how did you get that name? Because that happens to be my favourite suspect in this whole case. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that's the whole reason he goes to this person's house, and then Bob Vaughan isn't even a name that he's been given apart from he has the film tapes yeah. and his handwriting matches the best of anyone they've encountered before and um, his obsession has gotten so bad that he eventually secures an interview with Darlene uh, the first murder victim at the beginning of the movie her sister in prison who tells him about this like strange man who's sort of like kind of stalked Darlene and like would show up and be all weird but she refutes that he was called Rick and he is so obsessed he's like no say it was Rick and it's like she Jesus, man, like, dot. But she instead says uh, it was Lee. And Bobby starts looking into Lee and sort of starts harassing 
Tosky again, and they sort of together are able to confirm that like his sort of like movements over the years roughly match up with the timeline of letters. Yeah. And it's like, he's, oh, he's, he was in prison a... at this point, and no letters came, and then he gets out of prison, and suddenly you get a, t- a, a typewritten letter, and yeah, and he lives he lives five minutes down the road from the second murder victim, and he went to the the kind of paint party that everyone was disparaging early on in the movie, uh, uh, and, and, like, and he had his birthday connect- matches. Yes, his birthday. Yeah, because he goes to try and talk to Veli or Veli, and one of the maids is like, "Yeah, he said it was his birthday, and he had to kill." And like, he's able to extract. Like, she doesn't know the date, but he's able to do it from like what she's saying. And Burke like, "Oh, the 18th And then like his wife like actually drops him off. Like, I don't know how she fucking got this, but like it's um it's like a copy of of Lee Allen's driving license, and it says his birthday is is the 18th And yeah, I assume she has like a DMV job or like a government job where she can get. She was like Both a. Records. Wasn't she like a teacher at one point? Like she worked for his kid's teacher? I don't know. Maybe. Because she's like, oh, my kids are terrified of her, and she's like, me too. Well, then maybe he was in the school system because he was a sex offender. Ah. Of course. So yeah, and like in December of 83, bearing in mind we started off 14 years previously, Bobby walks into Lee's place of work, looks him right in the eyes, they stare at each other for a couple of seconds, and then... I think he, and that's the one of the moment is that Lee Allen completely gets why this guy's here. Yep. Because in the course of him looking at me, he's like, oh, do you need help, sir? Because they're, he's in his place of work, and he's working in a store, and when Bobby doesn't reply to him, his face just drops, and it turns into this yeah. Just he knows. He knows you know. Well, that's what you project onto it because they are so. He has done such a masterful job of of coming across as like so sinister and like that is kind of the narrative that has been crafted is that his face says he knows and his face says he knows he knows and then they just leave it at that and he walks out and I think it would have been incredibly bold to have that be the final scene actually, but. We do they, they cut to after the book has been released. Yes, yeah, seven and a half years later. Very specific about the half. It's in like Toronto or Ontario or something like that. And the survivor of the from the very beginning of the movie, Mike Majot, now played by Jimmy Simpson, is shown mugshots and uh, he fingers Lee Allen. He's like, that's the guy. I last saw him in July of 69 or whatever. And the film ends with this text explaining that like Allen suffered a heart attack before any charges could be raised. And while there is some DNA evidence that potentially proves it wasn't him. The police have never ruled him out, and like while the case was closed in San Francisco, he remained the only suspect in these other locations. Yeah, apparently they have reopened the case since this, but who knows? And yeah, you see that like his book is a bestseller on the shelves, and you get the whole like, oh, Tosky retired and was cleared of all charges. Avery died, but got a really nice funeral, and Bobby got this movie made about. <laughs> I wonder if yeah, this final I, scene I... came from. Warner Brothers' concern about it not being definitive enough, because it doesn't add a great deal for me, and I just wonder if they were just, like, look, you need someone to point at a picture and go, that's him. But I think it would have been a more powerful, dramatic ending to have it end with that Jay Gyllenhaal scene. I think I think the issue is is that there are actually two books that Robbie Gra- Robert Graysmith wrote. So the movie is mostly based on the first one, but he did release another book about 16 years later, which okay. was Zodiac Unmasked, The Identity of America's Most Elusive Serial uh, Killer, okay, yeah. which I think is where this information, because obviously this bit of the movie is set after yeah. that information comes out, but because there is this quite important, like, one of the victims putting the blame on to the most prescient 
Sure, but like you could have just put this into the text. Like eight, sure. eight years later, Majot identified Lee Allen or whatever. I th- but I think it, it it makes it more powerful to have him kind of like because the movie opens and closes on Majot. Like he it is... does, but like we've completely forgotten about him, and it's a different actor, and it's not even anyone we know interviewing him. You know, it's like we're but just going I, I... cold to this final scene, and it's like oh, and it was him. It's like oh, okay, bye. I I do think it works though as like this symmetrical. Kind kind of like mirror image of yeah, itself. I, I appreciate that, that it begins and ends with him, but it feels to me that this was insisted upon by the studio or something. Um, I, 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 do, I just think it is very important information that came to light in the, in yeah, the six not, years after the book came I'm out. I'm not denying that, but like, I would have just folded that into the, the text on screen at the end. That like, you know, I would have done the Jill and Hall like, final look and then done all that text, but added a bit about like, oh, uh, Majot like, identified him eight years later. I don't know. I appreciate they're trying to deliver facts, but I think they're also trying to tell a narrative story and to so firmly establish it will be over for me when I look him in the eyes and then have had that been the final shot. And, you know, arguably it's not just about Bobby, but, like, he is the the lead, so I would have ended it there and just folded that into the on-screen text. But whatever, it is it is what it is. And that's your movie. Uh, we've managed to not make this podcast insanely long like the movie is, but, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, I'm going to complain about long movies always, that's just who I am, but like, it is just so well crafted, every frame of it, like, like I said, I've done LA Confidential with Mike, you and I have done Catch Me If You Can, like, all of those movies are trying to, like, nail a period and, like, recreate it with props and everything, and it just goes so much further, like, the level of detail gone to to recreate, like, traffic patterns and, like, all sorts of shit like that, like, Fincher stuff, is... stuff that no one will ever realise, unless no. they are looking deeply into it. That's all there just for him. Like, it's his own little... And, like, he should look back on it and be proud of it, and that's patronising for me to say just some dude. Hey, David Fincher, be proud of what is considered potentially your best movie. But, yeah, just this is a whole other level to what is achieved in LA Confidential and Catch Me If You Can, if you ask me. And, yeah, Fincher... I was watching the behind the scenes while doing the notes, and, like, Fincher described directing to the writer as, you're painting, but you're 200 yards from the canvas, and 80 people are holding the brush, and you're telling them what to do by a walkie-talkie and it's like (laughs) i get who you are now (laughs) like that it bothers him that he can't personally do every like he has a vision in his head and he's doing everything he can to realize it and he's gotten like 90 percent of the way there and that has to be good enough but like some part of him wishes he could be all the actors all the camera operators everything and yeah like he is who he is and like i can understand why people would be infuriated by working with him but like look at what comes out of it when you just let him be an evil genius I think this is my second favourite Fincher movie. There's one more that I love more than it, yeah. but we will be discussing like, that movie. He's got a very clear cut, in my opinion, top five, and I don't really know where I wouldn't I'm not prepared to call it my favourite. I don't know if I'd call it my second favourite, but like it's right up there and like maybe like just different moods, different nights of the week, you pop on a different one of these Fincher movies, but like it's really good. And like an aspect I I didn't bring up, I love how all three of these guys' lives are just trashed. Everyone actually. Like if you throw Armstrong in there like their lives are just destroyed by working on this case just seeing them all descend into varying degrees of, of, of failure and, and misery and like addiction it's, it's great and 
yeah, the specificness of the, or the specificity of the passages of time. It's like, right, now it's this day, or this year, or this month, and, like, it's constantly giving you one of those at the bottom of the screen, and, like... Yeah, I, and probably... there are, there are, like, five all-time great performances in this movie. At least, like, I love Gyllenhaal, Ruffalo, Dan Jr., Edwards, and John Carroll Lynch. Yeah. Are all incredible in this film, and the fact that this movie is such like a clockwork box of kind of like precision filmmaking, mm. that there are this many good performances in it is kind of astounding. And it, this also feels like it's kind of the last film where Fincher could be underrated in some ways. <laughs> like like Seven and Fight Club were obviously like totemic films of the '90s, but I feel like this movie and after it is kind of when that critical evalu- reevaluation happened. Like Seven and Fight Club did fine, but I feel like DVD then, uh, era, yeah. Every- Everyone was like, is this guy just like the best? <laughs> it, it, it's so weird to see because I'm looking at like the Oscar nominations. So, like, Alien 3 got one nomination, Seven got one nomination, Fight Club got one nomination. All these other films got nothing, including this film. And then we get Curious Case of Benjamin Button a year later, and it feels like the most insane course correction because it gets 13 nominations. Yeah. And it's probably his like second worst film up to that point. But again, and, I think if this movie comes out today with like not being so snooty about things like CGI, I think this is getting stuff for like, I don't know if it gets cinematography, but something to do with like visuals, like costume design, like sat- it sounds really good as well. Yeah, like, I mean, all his movies are like technical masterpieces like exactly. i th- i mean i also think that this, if social network came out today that wins best picture probably yeah but that's for another volume of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of another things in this podcast uh next week we will be doing a very different movie indeed that ben is mildly resentful made the list but the rules are the rules uh I'm super not, bad I'm not, I'm not resentful it's a very important piece of culture ephemera i just will have opinions on it next week that will make matt sad that's fine we will talk about super bad and a little teaser we will be breaking out my ten thousand word thesis slash dissertation on super bad in there Let's just say that. Uh, in the meantime, go to enterrealworld.com, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike and Matt. Like, comment, subscribe. Ben. Uh, can we can we get can we get a title tease of this ten thousand word dissertation? Oh yeah. before? Bromance, the representation <laughs> of masculinity in contemporary Hollywood comedy. And because I know what you're about to ask, we know there can't be any movies after that title because <laughs> that's one of the worst things I've ever heard. You're welcome everyone. Bye. <laughs>